This week on PDCast, our topic is secondary grading in the time of coronavirus. Um, how do we do it? What is the policy? What are we doing? And, um, and, and how can teachers really kind of make the best of this situation? So we've got uh, two of our secondary coordinators joining us here, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Lisa Turlow, secondary uh, coordinator for humanities and literacy. And I'm Robert Sherlock, the uh, STEM coordinator for secondary. Great, thank you. And also along with us is... Elizabeth Armstrong. As always. So thank you too for, for joining us here and for talking about a topic that is of uh, high salience right now because we are a month away from the end of school and teachers want to know and, and, and kind of get be guided on what we're doing for secondary grading. So um, can either of you kind of give us in a nutshell what the board decided, what was it, a couple of weeks ago for that will be our policy for this term? Uh, sure. So the board decided to uh, have a no harm policy uh, where the default grade for students is either a credit or incomplete. And a credit grade is uh, anywhere from a letter, uh, an A grade through a letter D grade whereas an incomplete is for an F grade. Uh, the students or parents may opt in for a letter grade of either an A, a B, or a C, um, and that opt-in time is uh, towards the end of the school year on June 8th. And so, uh, you know, students have to have a, um, a grade that they can choose from, and that grade will be June 5th. Okay. So that's pretty much in a nutshell what that policy looks like. Okay. So to your knowledge, what, what's the reasoning and some of the advantages of a, a hybrid policy like this? How does this help kids? I, I think that uh, this policy addresses um, different kinds of students that we have in Saddleback. Uh, I know that our board heard a lot from parents of students in honors, AP, IB, who wanted to make sure that their students had a letter grade so that it would uh, benefit them for their GPA and also that it would motivate them. Uh, so I think on that end, our policy is good for kids who want that. On the other end of the spectrum, I think we have our struggling students. Uh, we've had struggling students in Saddleback forever. Every school district has students who are uh, English learners, we have students who are special ed, we have students who are socioeconomically uh, disadvantaged or even or are suffering from socio, um, sorry, social emotional, there's a lot of S's here, social emotional issues. So all of those kinds of students are, can struggle, but with the pandemic and the abrupt uh, movement from one day to the next where kids just went home, and teachers had to start teaching them, we found that we had students who just kind of went off our radar. And those are the students that we really worry about who might be in homes where um, there is no supervision, where suddenly they have to go to work because their parents have uh, lost their jobs and they can get a gig job like uh, Uber Eats or something along those lines. So I think that the credit uh, incomplete helps us make sure that the students who are missing, 
who uh, all of, I hear from teachers all across the district, they're trying to reach out to those students. Counselors are reaching out to them. But we wanna make sure that those students are not hurt by a grading policy. And the credit incomplete is something I think that really helps the struggling student. Can, can I add something also? Just, uh, you know, another thing that we took guidance on for credit or incomplete was that the UCs have acknowledged that a credit will earn A through G credit. Uh, where in the past, uh, students needed a letter grade of A, B, or C to get the A through G. So I think that really also really um, substantiates that a credit is a valid grade, even for UCs. Um, so just a little more, um, you know, a little more detailed as far as that credit and the power of the credit. It's, it's, it's worth something for UCs and Cal States. Do we, do we have any idea or, or a guess or an estimate which option most kids are going to go for? I'm just, any ideas? That's a great question. I think that the, my guess would be that kids will take a combination of, of credit versus no credit versus grades. I think uh, if a student's doing well in one class and they think it can up their GPA, then they're going to go for the letter grade. But if they're struggling, they will go for the credit. I think the hard part is the families that we are struggling to reach out to. It's those, the kids, again, who are missing, who might not have internet access. Um, and of course, the, um, the default, if kids and families do nothing, is credit incomplete. So they would get something. Can, can you explain a little bit more about what no credit would mean? I was say, so no credit or incomplete looks different at the intermediate versus the high school level. At the intermediate level, if a student gets an F or an incomplete, that would just be a no mark. And that no mark would be on their transcript, on their grade report, but they would still move on. You know, they just want to get credit for the course. Um, at the high school level, it looks different. Um, if a student gets an F or an incomplete, they have the opportunity to make that grade up for a credit during starting with summer school 2020, all the way through actually until they leave uh, high school in our, in, in our district. And so that could, that could be you know, next semester or the semester afterwards. Our goal, of course, would try to get those credit recovery um, course or those, those courses made up uh, to a credit as soon as possible. Um, but you know, because again, we don't want to hurt the students who, for whatever reason, what weren't, was not able to get that credit course. So for a teacher, who right now doesn't know which students are going to want credit and which students are going to want uh, the letter grade. How should, how should teachers proceed in, in grading and, and keeping the grade book at this point? How do, how do I know which, which track my kids are on? For, for me, if, if, you know, if I was asked, how am I going to keep a grade book or, uh, you know, what I'm going to do to track student grade, I would keep my traditional grade book uh, an A, you know, letter grade A through F, as I always have. Uh, you know, if I would make sure one, it's up, it's up to date, so students students can see those, that progress through Satterport, um, so they they can make an accurate decision um, when they decide either credit or the letter grade. Um, and then, I, you know, as it gets closer, I would just really hone in on the students who who are at that incomplete stage or that incomplete grade, and really. Make sure to reach out to them um, with either you know, email or you know a Google Voice uh, phone call, uh, and just see what I can do to support them. 
But in the end, I think if you have that one grade book without running these dual grade books for credit and one for letter grade, you just look and you say, okay, so these students opted for a grade, the grade's already there. These students opted for credit. Do they have a D or above? They get credit. If they uh, have an F or below, or if they have an F, then they get the incomplete. So there's really no reason to keep dual grade books or worry about which kids are going to select which at this point, right? I don't think so, no. I think having two grade books would just confuse me <laughs> and perhaps even the students as well. So Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I think the key there is the threshold, knowing what's a pass. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the only thing a teacher needs to think about. Well, another thing we didn't talk about was the hold harmless. You know, for the majority of high school intermediate courses, if a high school student got a certain grade on quarter three, a B, let's say, they can't go lower than that for their semester two final grade. Um, just like a, um, a student in, in, in uh, intermediate school, if they had a C for their trimester two grade for math or for English, their grade can't go lower than that for their trimester three. Um, electives for the uh, trimester electives are a little bit different because those are whole classes or, you know, they, they, those classes don't continue on like um, a math or a science or an English class does. But, um, you know, for the most part, that, that hold harmless really does help support the student who, for whatever reason, isn't doing well um, for things out of their control for distance learning. And, and that's not something that we came up with. That was guidance from the state of California, wasn't it? Yes, uh, that, that came down from State Superintendent of Schools, Tony Thurman, to all school districts. So uh, I think this one is sometimes tough for, for people to process, but I think that guidance was very clear that students should not be hurt by the fact that we went to distance learning so suddenly and under emergency dire circumstances. Yeah, it's not like anybody signed up for this. So coming from a teacher's perspective, do you have any advice for the teachers who are, who are concerned about the students for reasons we may not know? It may be because they just simply want that B or C that they had on March 13th and they're just checking out or they're checking out for other reasons and you know, we just don't know what those reasons might be, but it might be because they can't check back in and they, they can't handle the workload right now, distance learning or you know, what have you. What kind of advice can you give me as a teacher for what I do with those particular students? I know some will probably re-engage because they know they have classes next year that they need to prepare for, but you know, do you have any advice for, for me as a teacher in that regard? I, I would say there's a couple things to, that I would think about. Um, one, I think, is it's very hard to, um, to replicate uh, the classroom. And I think a lot of us uh, teachers and students are struggling with the fact that we don't get to be in person with our kids. And we didn't really realize how important it actually was to walk over to a kid who wasn't doing their work and just give them the look um, or to have a little conversation with the kid. And I think it's those, those human kind of contacts that we're missing. Um, and I think the teachers that I hear who, are, who I think uh, are doing well are reaching out to kids in a variety of different ways. I know I have heard teachers say that they are emailing kids 
who they th they're afraid aren't doing well, individual emails. I have teachers who say they're calling kids. I've ha I even heard somebody say that they, they wrote a letter to a kid. So, you know, what ways can they actually just, you know, be in contact with them? Because I think that goes a long way. Uh, most of us can remember a time when a teacher said something to us that showed that they really cared. Like, how are you doing today? Or, you know, that was really good. And so I think our kids still need that. Um, the other thing I think I would say to teachers is if you're worried about kids um, taking a test and maybe, you know, uh, cheating or, you know, some kind of plagiarism, I think it's okay to put on your teacher hat and give your kids the lecture you would give them in class and tell them what you expect from them. Uh, so I think uh, that if you do that, and you also are willing to let go of some of the assessments, the traditional assessments, and let kids do more projecty things, more engaging things to, to meet a standard in this time and place. Uh, I, I think injecting a little fun into the environment is a really, um, a really important thing to keep it light and, and bring some joy into their lives. And can I add, so you, you said you spoke of fun. I think, you know, now I, I was a science teacher, so I maybe a slant towards science, but, you know, I, I, I uh, zoomed in with a teacher who was doing a, a demo for her students. And it was just, it's, it's exciting where the kids were, they're they just excited about seeing science again. And I, you know, maybe it's a little bit more difficult for an English or history, you don't, can't necessarily do demos, but I think really trying to bring in those um, exciting and those engaging activities and then tweaking it to make it more of a distance learning activity is important as well. And you also mentioned like the whole social emotional aspect and the, and the um, like the caring, right? I mean, continue that caring in, in whatever ways you can, because I think kids will be more engaged if, if, if they, um, even if they have to be reminded sometimes that their teacher still does care about them, even though they're looking at a computer screen or an email versus face-to-face. Uh, Lisa, a couple of summers ago, you and I did a grading academy for teachers, and and one of the things that I really remember in doing the prep for that and, and the conversations was how little research there is about grades motivating kids, that a lot of teachers think that they have to have the grade to hold over a kid's head to motivate them to do their best. But when you actually look at the research, that that only works in for a minuscule handful of kids. And if we're counting on grades to motivate all of our kids, then that's 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 not going to happen during this this time. And so we have to figure out other ways to grab them and motivate them. I so agree with you, Kevin. I think that we have a really exciting group of teachers in our district working with standards-based grading who are figuring out that, wow, kids, kids actually get excited about learning. I mean, every, lots of teachers know that, but I think uh, if we can kind of get in that groove, then we're really in a good place. Obviously, it's not easy right now. No. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been wondering about the teachers, because I know we have pockets of teachers across the district who have been going to standards-based grading, and I'm wondering what this looks like for them. I'm kind of wondering what their take and perspective on all of this has been. If I were to give any advice to teachers, it would be to um, give, uh, I, this is quoting Jeff Guzman, who's an academic coach at RSM, give kids grace. 
in this in this time and place if there's any time you know to take off your teacher hat and put on your i'm a human and there's another human you know just be kind because i think we do have kids from all socioeconomic backgrounds who are really struggling just like we are from day to day it's not easy so that would be my advice one of the things I remember from the, the PDs that, that we did was, I think, I think Robert, you were talking about taking teachers taking late work. And you said something about how in these circumstances, we really don't know what's going on in kids' lives, in their homes, in their, in their families. So we, we need to have the, the attitude of accepting what we get and accepting late work. And what occurred to me is, well, you know, that doesn't just apply now that's actually all the time is we don't know what's going on in kids lives all the time sure I mean I heard a story about us you know a, a, a student you know he's watching or helping with his like you know two or three other siblings who are in elementary school and I'm that students probably still doing that uh, maybe more so now <clears throat> with technology but even that, that that kid probably does that now and did it four months ago you know yeah. um, and can I, 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 I heard a great story from one of our teachers at a high school about just those connections that Lisa talked about before. And it's, you know, the student came on and they were just, they didn't talk about um, the subject at all. They just talked. And they, the student at the end said, I've missed just talking to you as a teacher and talking to my classmates. And it was like so touching um, that, you know, we, I, we have to remember, and, you know, I think it's hard sometimes with all of our Zoom meetings that, Kids just, just like adults, want just that personal contact, even if it is through a computer screen, something besides the, the four walls of their house and their mothers and fathers and their you know, brothers and sisters, they want other people to talk to. So I just, it, was, it was a nice story that I, I always refer back to when I'm <laughs> down and out a little bit, you know? Good. Well, Lisa and Robert, thank you very much for talking with us today. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, everybody out there, stay, uh, stay safe. Stay sane and stay inside. I saw a thing on, on Twitter or something about um, what they were doing in one Chinese school. And so the, I saw the, the girl yeah. stands there and gets sprayed down and then she yeah. walks over to the hand washing station and I'm like, we don't, we can't get kids to walk in a line in the United States. That's not going to happen. What? Well, 